As the impact of the coronavirus hits the world all over, I had the pleasure of speaking to Professor Kingsley Mogalu to help us to understand how Africa, as individual countries or collectively as a continent, should respond to the pandemic from a policy perspective. Professor Mugalu is a seasoned academic, a technocrat, and a policy guru who has had a distinguished career at the United Nations as Deputy Governor of the Nigerian Central Bank and currently as a Professor of Public Policy at Tufts University in the United States. It was an enlightening and enriching conversation that touched on a wide range of issues of aid, trade, economics, governance, geopolitics and even African political philosophy. It was most instructive in helping us to understand how Africa's past connects with the present, and most importantly, how we must come together and what we must do to shape a much better future in a post-COVID world. Please grab your coffee, your pen, and notepad, and join us in this fascinating conversation. Professor Mahalu, let's just jump straight into it. In your book, um, Emerging Africa, you argue that Africa must have what you called a worldview. Well, here we find ourselves in the throes of a global pandemic without a coordinated global response. From a public policy perspective, what do you think the African view and the African response to the coronavirus should be? So far, what has gone wrong? What has gone right? What should the African approach be in terms of policy responses? For example, what is the role of the African Union and regional organizations like ECOWAS and SADAC or COMESA? Are they stepping up to the plate? I mean, thank you, Dabo. I think Africa's response to the coronavirus should be an individual national response within the context of a broader framework that is set and driven by international organizations like the African Union and ECOWAS and other regional economic communities. Both those organizations and individual national governments have a role to play. Africa is too big to be coordinated day to day on, a, on such an, a global emergency as the coronavirus by any one organization. I don't want us to avoid the responsibility of individual national governments and cover it with some continental responsibility fishing, if you see what I'm saying. The regional organizations are very relevant in the context of movements of persons and how those movements affect the spread of the coronavirus. They are relevant in terms of trade, in terms of supply chain issues. You know, can African countries rely more on themselves for the global supply chain rather than relying almost exclusively as a lot of the world does on China? So I think that the African economic organizations like ECOWAS and the African Union should create a stronger impetus, I would say, for African countries to trade much more among themselves and turn this into a reality immediately post-COVID. I think that we need to understand globalization much better and understand that Africa should become a factory for the goods of globalization, or at least part of the global supply chain, rather than simply being a market for the goods of globalization. And it is only when we do this that the African continental free trade area, for example, can yield its potential because the question of rules of origin will always arise. If mm -hmm. African countries themselves do not produce value added, 
goods that they can trade among themselves with, then what is the continental free trade area for? Can it not be abused by those who produce um, things like China and some other countries? So I think these are very important lessons for the role of the African Union, for the role of ECOWAS. I think that in terms of controlling travel, there should be a coordinated response across regional economic groups like ECOWAS, for example, or SADC, the East African community, based on the situation in individual countries. They can take mutually agreed decisions on when to restrict movement or when to reopen, for example. So these things should be done in coordination. Otherwise, it could be very disruptive. So yes, mm -hmm. I understand that those organizations like the African Union, like mm -hmm. the European Economic ECOWAS and so on, have a role to play. Beyond all this, I think it's very important for the African Union to drive the perspective of an African worldview, a global strategic ambition for the African continent. That is a worldview that should have a number of components. It should be very clear where Africa is coming from. A history that before colonialism was dominated at some point by the slave trade and the transcontinental slave trade and the implications of this combined with colonialism on the African continent and how that has weakened Africa in international relations. That's the starting point. Okay. But the ambition should be to overcome mm. the consequences of both the global uh, slave trade and colonialism and to make Africa and African countries to become beneficial participants in the global political economy. It means having a political consensus about what the independence of African countries means for individual African countries and for African countries as a group. I think it's an excellent answer. The concept of united Pan-African position on the global stage is age-old. Several attempts have been made. There was the setup of the OAU, the African Union, NEPAD, for example. A range of initiatives have tried to do exactly just that. But we keep on coming to this challenge of how disparate, how diverse, and how different these countries may be. They may have similar challenges, but socially, economically, culturally, and historically, like you alluded to earlier, they're very different. Even language is, is a challenge, as you know. So how possible is it to fuse all these diverse strands of African identity into one singular perspective using that as an instrument to engage in the global space. Is it possible? It is. It is very possible because there is one thing that African countries share, regardless of the fact that they have different individual circumstances. Most countries in sub-Saharan Africa, at the very least, and even in uh, the Maghreb, um, have been colonized. So there is a shared, where are we coming from? to that extent. Mm. Another thing that unites most African countries is poverty. <laughs> Over 90% of African countries are poor. They, are, they should be united by an ambition to achieve prosperity for their citizens. Recently, the World Bank and the IMF group have started doling out a range of loans and grants to assist African countries to be able to deal with the multifaceted impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
what are your thoughts on this? What happens when the next pandemic comes up? Do we go running for loans again? Can we borrow our way out of a pandemic? Or is this the clarion call about the importance of African countries looking inward for resources as well as solutions to their own problems? I think it's a clarion call for African countries to look inwards and develop resilience internally, develop a sense of risk management to understand that the world is, is a hotbed all kinds of risks, some are internal, some are external, and develop policies and strategies to manage those risks. Um, I think that's what it is. Uh, one of the biggest risks is a strategic risk, commodity dependence, single right. commodity dependence for many African countries. Um, I have in mind countries like Nigeria, I have in mind countries like South Africa, and so on and so forth. And we see now that with the coronavirus, and the global recession in industrialized countries, the demand for those uh, natural resources or commodities has become depressed. And as a result, many countries in Africa are in a fiscal crisis and not able to deal with COVID without external assistance from the IMF and the World Bank. Another lesson is that we must have fiscal savings. Again, this varies from country to country, but in a country like Nigeria, for example, there are absolutely no fiscal savings. And the government is borrowing more and borrowing more and borrowing more. And I am concerned about the increasingly high revenue to debt service ratio. But what is the alternative, sorry? As you know, this issue of the danger of a mono economy, the impetus for economic diversification, we've been talking about this since the 60s. What are the key challenges, and especially in a global economy that is about to come under the chokehold of you know, the impact of the COVID pandemic itself? How will African countries now start raising foreign direct investment, start trading to be able to make their own resources? What should they be thinking about in terms of adequate policy responses? Yes, concerning COVID itself, it's happening right now. So we may not be able to make some of these changes some of which are structural um, immediately so we must deal with the pandemic as best we can but post the pandemic there will be another global pandemic at some point in the future we don't know whether it will be coronavirus or some something else and will you be caught napping as we have been caught napping again that's the question Correct. so Investments in health systems are very important. Domestic revenue mobilization through a broader tax net is very important. Cutting the cost of governance is very important. And in countries like Nigeria, they have many more reforms that they must go through. For example, removal of the petroleum subsidy, constitutional restructuring of Nigeria, to make it a real federation because the political design of Nigeria today constitutionally creates an incentive for the country to remain trapped in the resource cost of oil. So these are the kinds of things that have to happen immediately after COVID. We have to get into those discussions. What about the other poorer countries, for example? Let me tell you that, that I don't believe that any African country is too poor or is so poor that it must remain perpetually poor. That's just not an argument in my mm. mind. Wealth creation is done by investing in human capacity, 
once you do that, any economy can then look at its own individual circumstances and find a way to move out of poverty. A country like Rwanda, once small, poor, is trying to do that. How big is Botswana? Although they have natural resources. But then what are the natural resources in Switzerland? What are the natural resources in South Korea or even Japan? So there is no country in Africa that is so poor that it cannot get itself out of poverty. And that brings me to the next issue. Economic transformation is based on two things or three things. It's based one on economic philosophy and it's based two on political economy. How is the society organized politically to create the kinds of institutions that will allow the economies to be transformed? Many African countries do not understand the secret. They think it is abstract economics. They think it is development aid. And in doing so, they miss the track entirely. It's like you're going to Washington from New York and you get into a road that should be taking you to Texas. That's what's happening in many African countries. So this is the problem. Thinking it through, understanding, fundamental understandings, and that is why I talk about the worldview. These things are necessary for African countries to be able to prosper post-COVID. Moving slightly out of Africa into the international sphere, we've seen over time a withering of the influence and the capacity of a lot of multilateral agencies. These agencies, as you know, were created to try and coordinate global responses to the kind of challenge that we're facing today in terms of a global pandemic. Perhaps this is a time to also have a conversation about the extent to which African countries actually have a say in how these multilateral agencies are organized and how they function and how they respond. Um, yes, indeed, but that requires, again, a worldview beyond just reacting to a crisis of the moment. But the structural nature of the functioning of these institutions calls for a concerted decision among African countries, like you said, to have a stronger voice. Because the truth is, a lot of these institutions would not be relevant without Africa's problems. Very much so. That's the truth. And so I think African countries should seize that opportunity to have a stronger voice, even though they may not have a lot of money to fund these organizations at this time. So they have a leverage they can use. And I'll give you an example. Rwanda is a country that has relied a lot on foreign aid, but they have a plan to move away from foreign aid. Correct. But in the meantime, any aid you give them, they must tell you how they want it used. They're not saying because we're receiving aid, you have aid, which many African countries uh, do not have uh, at the level I think they should have it. So that's, that's the first thing that I would have to say. The second thing I would have to say about international organizations is that African countries must recognize that international organizations will not save them or make them better countries. International organizations exist as coordinating or consultation platforms to set norms or standards. That's what they are. I hold the view of the international society, which is a bit different from the aspirational international community, which has not yet happened, even though we use it as a language of discussion. But the reality of world politics is that we have a self-interested, anarchical society. 
as Hedley Bull would put it. So that is my assessment and African countries need to recognize this and understand that international organizations are not going to come and make them better places for their citizens. It is the responsibility of nations, primarily the responsibility of governments and their citizens to better their lot. And the sooner African countries understand that there is no Messiah coming to save them from the WHO or from the United Nations or even from the African Union, the better for them. The, the democratic legitimacy of the national sovereign space remains a vital reality. Very well said. And that, in a way, brings me to the very final question and also brings us back home to, uh, to Africa. As they say, charity begins at home. In the field of economics, as you know only too well, there's this concept of creative disruption that sort of infers that the deliberate dismantling of processes to make way for improved processes or methods of production. If we were to look at the COVID-19 pandemic and how it has essentially made the whole world stand up and smell the coffee, so to speak. Do we think that this itself will be the button that could create the destruction, the creative destruction that is required for Africa to go back to the drawing board? The first thing that Africans need to do, African countries need to do post-COVID in their human capital, and that is healthcare systems mm -hmm. and education. Um, right now, very few African countries are doing so. At a, at a meeting of the African Union in Abuja in 2001, it was agreed that they would, each African country would spend at least 15% of its budget on healthcare, but that does not happen. In a country like Nigeria, it's less than 5%. So that's number one. Number two is to understand that the diversification of their national economies will take far more than rhetoric. And they need to understand technically the process of economic diversification, which is the production of value-added goods mm. and building inclusive economies mm. across a broad range of sectors, rather mm. than reliance on single commodities for mm. revenue. Um, and then they have to export and so those, those uh, products must be competitively produced. And they must now develop a range of policies that will encourage exports. And one of these may be strategic devaluation of currencies. Because when you subsidize currencies, as for example is the case in Nigeria, it maintains an imports culture. It subsidizes the elite. But if your currency does not have the value that you want it to have artificially, because it's not a productive economy of finished goods and exports, then you must seek to build such an economy. And the only way you build it is by um, relaxing your currency, creating incentives for exports, because the cheaper your currency is, the more attractive it is to foreign trade. So this is a strategic shift that has to take place, rather than seeking to protect the elite. Third thing I would like to say to Africa, is that innovation is paramount. You've seen what has happened in Senegal, where they have been able to produce indigenous test kits and other kinds of equipment at very low cost as a response to the COVID crisis. And it's something that the rest of the world should look at. I've read reports about Mauritius and some plants that have some promise, 
possible cure for the coronavirus. Of course, it must go through the scientific process of peer review and validation. Um, right. But there is a lot of potential in African countries uh, to be able to have a greater say and greater control and influence in the continent's future post-COVID. Professor Mugalu, thank you so much for your thoughts and your time. This has been a really, really enlightening conversation. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dabwa. Thank you.